This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. Dimension X was not the first adult science fiction series on radio, but the acquisition of previously published stories immediately gave it a strong standing within the science fiction community, as did the choice of established writers within the genre, Isaac Asimov, Robert Bloch, and Ray Bradbury, to name a few. In the book Science Fiction Television, 2004, Mr. Keith Booker wrote... It was not until the 1950s that science fiction radio really hit its stride, even as science fiction was beginning to appear on television as well. Radio programs such as Mutual's 2000 Plus and NBC's Dimension X were anthology series that offered a variety of exciting tales of future technology, with a special focus on space exploration, including alien invasion, though both series often reflected contemporary anxieties about the dangers of technology. Sponsored by Wheaties, we're about to hear a well-written, mind-boggling story about a couple who shrink to atomic size and land on the electron planet of an atomic solar system. Somewhere in Europe, a man is walking through the darkness down a cobbled stone street. It's early evening still, only a little past eight, but the street is strangely deserted. He pauses to look behind him, then knocks quietly on a door. Wheaties presents Dimension X. Adventures in time and space, transcribed in future tense. Dimension X. On stage tonight, Dimension X. Another in the Wheaties' big parade of exciting half-hour presentations. Now, tonight's adventure into the unknown. Into the world of Dimension X. Somewhere in Europe, a man is walking through the darkness down a cobblestone street. It's early evening still, only a little past eight. But the street is strangely deserted. He pauses, looks behind him, then knocks quietly on a door. Yes? Is Engineer Wensler in? Uh, what is it, please? Mrs. Wensler? Yes. I'm selling brushes. We have a nice line of brooms. They sweep well. Do they sweep the little or the large? Both. They're especially fine for the large. Come in. What cell are you in? I'm not with the underground. I'm an American. Newspaper correspondent. Oh. It's all right. 
Chief Nine said I should see your husband. He gave me the password. Look, you know the Americans are on your side. Well, I don't know. My husband is not home at the moment. If I... Eva, who is it? Someone to see Alan, father. Oh. My father-in-law knows nothing. Don't see anything which might disturb him. Okay. You wish to see my son, Mr... Uh, Arnold. Yes, a friend asked me to look him up. Uh, Mr. Arnold is an American correspondent, Father. Oh, an American. It is not often I have had the chance to talk to an American these days. Things have changed, haven't they? Yes. These last few years, we have been out of touch with the world. I was working in my laboratory, Mr. Arnold. Would you care to come in while you wait for my son? Father... Not the laboratory. Oh, Eva, we cannot ask our guest to sit alone in the library. And besides, I, I would like to talk. Huh? <laughs> this way, please. Thank you. Mr. Arnold, I know nothing of politics. My only interest is science. Uh, come, I, I will show you what we are doing. A most interesting experiment. Really, very interesting. Uh, oh, oh, Dr. Vince, now. Oh, this is Dr. Erickson, my associate. Dr. Erickson, Mr. Arnold. Uh, an American. Yes. Dr. Vince, is it advisable to allow strangers in the laboratory? Oh, Mr. Arnold, it's my son's friend. Dr. Vince, you will recall that the last directive... It has no bearing on the work we are doing. Our experiment is in the field of pure science. It has no military application. But the directive said... Dr. Uh, Erickson. May I remind you that I am still in charge of this laboratory? Very well. If you will excuse me, I want to test the new diatomic atmosphere. I will do that. Sorry, Dr. Winston. I'm afraid your friend Erickson doesn't like my looks. No, no, no. It's not that. It's, it's just that he's worried. He's worried for me. Afraid that someone will misinterpret your visit and report me to the authorities. He's my most loyal and trusted assistant. But he tends to exaggerate the danger. Well, I hope you're right, Doctor. Say, this is some setup you've got here. That ten-foot uh, plastic cylinder, what's that for? Every experiment must have a focal point, and that transparent cylinder is ours. Mm -hmm. The objects upon which we wish to work are placed inside and brought under the catalyzed beam over here. Eva! That's Alan now. Excuse me, I go and tell him. Uh, what is this experiment you're working on, Dr. Winston? Ah, a very interesting new problem. Eh? Uh, you say you are not a physicist or engineer, Mr. Arnold? No, I'm not, but I can follow you, if that's what you mean. Yes. Uh, well, you have been working with the problem of subatomic particles. Now, in attempting to manipulate them, to bring them closer to each other, we have discovered that we can shrink objects, reduce them in size... Well, that's very interesting. How much can you reduce them? Half size? Oh, much more. You can make objects become microscopic and still retain their characteristics. Doesn't seem possible. You can make them even smaller. Much smaller. Theoretically, in fact, down to atomic dimensions. Well, as I said before, I'm no expert, Dr. Winston, but tell me, what's the point? What good does it do to shrink anything down to that size? You do not understand. Man has never actually seen an atom. But if we can reduce a camera and recording instruments to the atom size, then we would know the secrets of the universe. Mm -hmm. Ah, there you are, Mr. Arnold. Oh, uh, oh uh, yeah. hello, Alan. Uh, you can't be interested in this. 
Why don't we go into the study and talk? Uh, but Mr. Arnold is interested. Uh, well, sir, maybe I'd better talk to Alan at that. Uh, excuse me, Dr. Versler. Yes. I mean to ask you if you think you can get along without me for a few minutes. There's something I must do. It's important. I uh, would... Yes, yes, yes. Uh, so long as it will not take too much time. No, no, it fine. won't take me long. It has been a pleasure, Mr. Arnold. Uh, I shall see you soon, I hope. Yeah, sure. Okay, Alan, let's go talk. Your credentials seem to be in order, Mr. Arnold. I talked to our chief after Ava explained why you were here. I don't agree with him. Uh, Look, Alan, you think the chief of your cell would have let me come here if he didn't think I was trustworthy and could help? I know, but... Public opinion can't be marshaled overnight, you know. Not even in America. Suppose the revolution is successful. It will be. All right, your only chance to make it stick will be in recognition by our government. And immediate help. Now, my stories can do a lot to lay the foundation for that. And with the date of the uprising so near... You know too much, Mr. Arnold, if this should leak to the secret police. Now, don't worry about it. It's my neck as much as yours. Hmm. What do you think, Eva? Chief Nine said he was to be given the fullest cooperation. Very well, then. What do you want to know? Question one. What makes you think this revolution really has a chance? You can't fight tanks and guns with just your bare hands. Mr. Arnold, we believe the Wensler machine can solve our biggest problem. What's that? How to collect arms without being attacked by the secret police. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I see. Now, suppose we could reduce all our equipment. Electronic guns, ray gas, anti-tank blaster. Anything which could be brought in unassembled. Reduce it to so small a size that a woman's handbag could hold enough to equip a regiment. You see what that would mean? Yeah, sure. No one would think of looking for a cannon. Precisely. But father's machine and the cylinder were necessary for the reduction. That's why our supply depot is right here. Here? Yes. When the day arrives, we'll enlarge the arms and pass them out. Yes, but where's the stuff now? Eva, please get me that uh, model from the man. Oh, of course. Here you are. Take a look at this, Mr. Arnold. Well, that's a... That's a model of an anti-tank blaster, complete to every detail. Not a model, Mr. Arnold. This is an anti-tanker. Reduced in the cylinder by the Wensler process. At the proper time, we shall enlarge it, wheel it out through the garage and set it up. When the men assemble, we pass out the rest of the arms, and we have our revolution. A division of men, properly armed, can take the city. Uh, Let's get back to the laboratory. Father will think it odd that we have been gone so long. Oh, I was wondering where you were, Alan. I don't know what's keeping Erickson. He should have been back long ago. I need some help on this circuit Of here. course, Father. What are you doing? Uh, Erickson and I have amplified the effect by putting another diatomic catalyzer into phase. I want to give a test run, Alan, if you will bring one of the animals from the cage. Yes, Father. Animals? Yes, we are experimenting now with the reduction of living animals, guinea pigs. How does it work? Those we diminish to microscopic size return unharmed. But those sent down to the atomic dimension, the cylinder returns. But there's nothing inside, nothing. Well, Dr. Winslow, have you ever tried it on a human being? I tried to persuade Father to send me down to find out what's making the animals vanish. No, Alan. But, Father, we've installed high-frequency radio communication now. If anything started to go wrong with me, I could tell you in time to reverse the process. No, I will never permit it. All right. Guinea pigs it is, then. But someday, Father, I... Yes, dear? Come to the window. 
What is it? That man, the one in the raincoat. He has been standing in that doorway across the street ever since I looked out the window. What of it? I don't like it, Alan. He has been standing there just looking at our house. Oh? Alan, do you think it is? I don't know. I'm not sure. Eva. Yes? You know what we planned in this eventuality. Yes. Get the arms and the provisions. We can't afford to take a chance. All right, Alan. Now, what is it, my son? What is... Father, it's better for you not to know too much, but... I'm a member of the underground. No. Eva, too. We have... No. Well, we have some contraband hidden in the house. We'll have to put it in the cylinder. Contraband? What do you mean? Arms, father. Arms and provisions for an army reduced to one fortieth size. Alan... Yes, we must put them in the cylinder and warm up the machine. If it is the secret police, we'll make the arms invisible, microscopic in size. Can I help? If you wish, Mr. Arnold, you can help my wife get the supplies. Okay. Alan! What is it, Eva? Two police cars are just on the corner. They're full of men. That changes matters. Father, you'll have to operate the machine yourself. Eva and I are getting into the cylinder. No, Alan, you can't. It's, it's too dangerous. It's the only way, Father. Those are the secret police. <laughs> Ready? Ready. Set at point 034. Good. All right, Eva. Get in the cylinder. Alan, I can't let you take the chance, Alan. Isn't it enough to make the supplies disappear? Not for the secret police. They must know something, otherwise they wouldn't be here. But how could they prove anything? No, Father. Every man has his breaking point. And I can't afford to gamble with the lives of others. I don't know how I'd react on the torture. Torture? Oh, Father, you are naive, but don't worry, you'll be safe. Everyone knows you aren't interested in politics. Mr. Arnold is an American. Perhaps that will protect him. They're coming now. Oh, my son, what have you done? There's no time for recriminations now, Father. I'm getting in with Eva. Arnold, will you help my father with the machine and after? Yes, I'll do whatever I can. Thank you. Now, take us down to sub-microscopic size. Yes. Hold us down until the police have gone. Tell them we've left. They won't dare meddle with the machine. Tell them... Tell them it will mean death to anyone who gets in the way of the beam. When they're gone, bring us back up. I'll maintain radio silence until I hear from you. Very well, my son. There they are. The machine's warmed up. Move over, Ava. I'm coming in. Let, let me... Nothing. I've switched on the radio. If you can hear me, secure the porthole, Arnold. Okay, we hear you. <laughs> porthole secure. Ready, Father? Yes. Are the oxygen then tanks all right? Eva? Yes. They're breaking down the door. Atomic setting 034. Preliminary release. Temperature? 27 degrees centigrade. 760 millimeters pressure. Hurry, Father. Very well. No. Break on. Alpha 4, beta 16, gamma 0.12. Temperature 30 centigrade. Pressure 1100. Be careful. Holy mackerel, the cylinder's only three feet high. Open that door, Temperature 36, pressure 1800. It's getting too high. I can't do it. Stand by to reverse. No. The temperature pressure shows signs of stabilizing. Now 38 and 2000. Make setting at Angstrong 5, 10 times to the third. That's a small. We can't afford to take chances. Only three inches high. It's all right, Father. Temperature and pressure beginning to drop. Thank God. A half inch high. Oh, they are coming. They are coming. Goodbye, Father. God bless you. Son. 
If anything happens, it isn't your fault. Remember, this is my doing. Eva, switch off. Stop! Don't come, come near the beam. No, this machine is in operation and can kill anyone coming within range. Shut off that machine. The, the machine cannot be shut off until it reaches Nadir. A sudden reversal would cause an explosion and take us all with it. You there. Who are you? Who, me? Just a friend of the family. Arrest him. Get your hands off me. Let go of me. Now, Dr. Wensler, your son and his wife, where are they? Answer me, you old fool. They, they, they left a few minutes before you came. Left? Jan, I told you to watch all the exits. We did, Commander. Mouse could not have escaped. I swear it by the leader. They are not here. You. What do you know of this? I told you they left some time ago. Keep an eye on them. And keep away from that machine. Jan. Yes, sir. Send out a general alarm. Yes, Commander. Dr. Wensler, who are your son's friends? Please, please. Commander, let me finish my experiment. I I know nothing about my son's activities or his friends. I swear it. I know nothing about politics. So? I must stay here until this experiment is finished. It is too dangerous to be left unattended. Very well. I'll take the American to headquarters. The rest of you, search the house. Look here, I'm an American citizen. I demand... Erickson! Yes, my dear Wensler. Have you found them, Commander? Erickson. You have betrayed me. I am a member of the League of Loyal Scientists. Your oh. son is the traitor, not I. Have you found him, Commander? No. We have searched the house. Nothing. They swear the son and his wife escaped before we arrived. That is ridiculous. They were here when I left. People do not vanish into thin air... Then where are they? Right, right under your nose, Commander. What? They're in the cylinder, of course, under the beam there. That is the only place they could be. Allow me to handle the controls. You shall have your prisoners in five minutes. I see. Very clever, Dr. Wensler. Very clever. All right, Erickson. You take charge of the machine. You spy, you traitor. Don't let you... him touch that guy. Oh, grab him. You, George, you won't. You, you. There. Set it for subatomic dimension. What does that mean? Whatever is in that cylinder has become as small as the atom. Then shut it off. It has almost reached nadir. We must wait ten seconds, then reverse polarities. The machine has reached nadir. Angstrom ten to the minus eleven. We must now wait ten seconds. One, two, three, four. What's the matter, Alan? I don't know. Something must have gone wrong. Alan, Alan, look up there. Why? Why, it's the solar system. It's coming at us so fast. Son? No, that can't be. Eva! That's the nucleus of an atom. We've reached the subatomic dimension. That sun is the nucleus. And those planets are the electrons revolving about them. 
That's landed coming up at us. There on the other side of the sun. I mean the nucleus. It's an electra. It's growing in size. They're heading straight for it. They're coming down on it. They are going to land. We finally reached the nadir. We haven't shrunk for the past two or three hours. I don't know. Somewhere in a valley between the mountains of a huge electronic ring. It's almost funny resting on the surface of an electron. Look. The soil under the floor of the cylinder. It looks like vegetation. Yes. Moss. Like it. That's the last of the air. I've been expecting it to go out for the past two days. We have perhaps a half hour more. David, dearest. I know. There is one chance. That vegetation. That means there must be some sort of atmosphere on this electronic planet. We have to take that chance. Eva, are you willing to step out of the cylinder with me? Of course, my dearest. For whither thou goest, I will go. Thy people shall be my people, and thy God, my God. When thou diest, I will... <laughs> we haven't much time. Ready? Ready. All right. Open the portal. Seven, eight, nine, ten. All right, ten seconds. I shall now reverse polarity. I see something. The cylinder? Yes, here it is. Just a few seconds more and it will become normal size. A foot high. Keep that man quiet. Ah, it grows very rapidly. Yes. Three feet high. Four... Now, there you are, Commander. And in a moment, you will see your prisoners. Get the door open. Yes, sir. There is no door, my Commander. No door? Erickson... But there must be. No, sir. Nothing but a gas valve. You are right. Nothing but violet gas. That's, that's impossible. Where are your son and his wife? We told you they left the house some time ago. That is a lie. Where are they? I... I do not know. Erickson, open that valve. But the gas be poisonous. We shall see. Open the valve. Very slightly. What is that? I... I don't know. I, I seem to hear music inside my head. So did I. Apparently the gas produces auditory hallucinations. Open the valve again. Careful. People of peace, greet the great scientist, the omnipotent, the maker of all. I, I thought I had a voice. So this did I. is the law of our people, laid down by our first father ten million years ago. 
that always and ever there be this record of our race. For it is told that thou, in the fruitfulness of time, shall take back unto thee this ark, like unto that cylinder in which the first father and mother of us all came unto us. I, I don't understand. I am the last of our race, and the sun is cold and desolation is upon the face of our planet. But in our time there was majesty and joy and the gleaning of the fruits of the soil, for we have been the people of peace, and life was bountiful for generations until that day came when in thy everlasting wisdom thou didst decree the end of all. Though there were some who wept, we did not query why. For we have been a happy race. We have followed the law of the first father, Alan, and of the great mother, Ava. No. And we have builded this ark so that there may be report of our deeds and of the fulfillment of the trust. Now I, Lamarian, the last of the billions who lived here, do lie me down into that last sleep, from which, if thou will, I shall awake unto the land which is thine. Hail, O great one, from the descendants of Alan and Ava, hail and farewell. Good Lord, what was that? And the neighbor, Dr. Wensler, where are they? They are beyond your reach. What do you mean? Don't you understand? All time is relative. One year of our time is one revolution of the planet Earth about the sun. Somewhere down in the microcosmos, my son and his wife found themselves in, in an atomic universe. Uh, of course. And landed upon an electronic planet. That planet whirled around its sun, the nucleus of an atom, a million times in the space of a second, our second. Dr. Wesley, what are you trying to say? That voice we heard is the voice of a human being, the last member of a race whose blood is mine. For in the space of ten seconds of our time, Alan and Ava settled upon their microcosmic planet and bore sons and daughters and a great and peaceful race that lived and died beyond infinity. And my children, Alan and Ava, who founded that race, are dead and gone ten million years ago, ten seconds ago. Tonight, Dimension X has presented Beyond Infinity, an original radio drama written by Vierre Gerson. Featured in the cast were Les Damon as Arnold, Lada Stavitsky as Ava, E.A. Krumschmidt as Dr. Wensler, and Joe DeSantis as Alan Wensler. Your narrator was Norman Rose. Music by Albert Berman. Dimension X is produced by Van Woodward and directed by Edward King. In a moment, we'll tell you about next week's show. And now, here is your Wheaties man, Frank Martin. 
This is Ed Prentice batting for Frank Martin to bring you a word from a fellow most of you know. Lucius, would you step over here, please? You bet, Ed. Folks, I'm Lou Catlin. I've been playing shortstop for the Chicago White Sox practically forever. Yes, it is practically forever. This makes your 20th season, Luke. You think it's going to be a permanent job? <laughs> well, you know, Ed, I play baseball like I eat Wheaties. Just get set and plow right through. Wheaties and baseball just seem to go together. The Wheaties give me the energy to play more baseball, and a tough game gives me the appetite to eat more Wheaties. I think it's a real nice arrangement. Well, Mr. Appling, if you're happy, so are we. Thanks a million to our real Wheaties champion, Luke Appling. And folks, if you haven't had the pleasure of Wheaties lately... Have some tomorrow. Wheaties, breakfast of champions. And eat happy. Next week, a strange story of other worlds. The story of the barbaric potters of first. Another adventure into the unknown world of tomorrow. The world of... Dimension X. And this is the Wheaties man, Frank Martin, inviting you to listen tomorrow night to Joel McRae in Tales of the Texas Rangers on the Wheaties Big Parade. See you then. Stay tuned for the Red Skelton Show next on Theater of the Mind. Time now for Red Skelton to bring a smile or three. He has stars on the Hollywood Walk of Fame for his work in radio and television. Also appeared in burlesque, vaudeville, films, nightclubs, and casinos, all while he pursued an entirely separate career as an artist. Skelton began developing his comedic and pantomime skills from the age of 10 when he became part of a traveling medicine show. He then spent time on a showboat, worked the burlesque circuit, and then entered into vaudeville in 1934. The Donut Dunkers pantomime sketch, which he wrote together with his wife, launched a career for him in vaudeville, radio, and films. His radio career began in 1937 with a guest appearance on the Fleshman's Yeast Hour, which led to his becoming the host of Avalon Time in 1938. He then became the host of the Raleigh Cigarette Program in 1941, on which many of his comedy characters were created and he had a regularly scheduled radio program until 1957. Skelton was eager to work in television, even when the medium was in its infancy. The Red Skelton Show made its television premiere September 30th of 1951 on NBC. By 1954, Skelton's program moved to CBS, where it was expanded to one hour and renamed the Red Skelton Hour in 1962. Despite high ratings... The show was canceled by CBS in 1970 as the network believed that the more youthful-oriented programs were needed to attract younger viewers and their spending power. Skeleton moved his program to NBC where he completed his last year with a regularly scheduled television show in 1971. And he spent his time after that making as many as 125 personal appearances a year and working on his paintings. Skeleton's artwork of clowns remained a hobby until 1964, when his wife, Georgia, persuaded him to show it at the Sands Hotel at Las Vegas while he was performing there. Sales of his originals were successful, and he also sold prints and lithographs, earning $2.5 million yearly on lithograph sales. 
At the time of his death, his art dealer said he thought that Skelton had earned more money through his paintings than from his television performances. Skelton believed that his life's work was to make people laugh. He wanted to be known as a clown because he defined it as being able to do everything. And now the episode entitled, It Pays to Look Well. The Raleigh Cigarette Program, starring Red Skelton with David Forrester and his orchestra, our singing star Anita Ellis, Gigi Pearson, Verna Felton, Pat McGeehan, and yours truly, Rod O'Connor. It's a pleasure to bring you Metro Golden Mayor's popular player and the star of the Raleigh Cigarette Program, Red Skelton. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you very much. Somebody thinks it's a hog calling contest over here. <laughs> Thank you and good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Well, Rod, what's new with you? Oh, nothing much, Red. I've been reading a book entitled Advancement of Science by Farnsworth Aislop. Oh, you mean Jimmy Starr's little boy, huh? Uh-huh. <laughs> Any good? Oh, yes. Say, did you know, scientifically speaking, that love is merely an increase in blood pressure and pulse rate? You can get the same effect by touching your toes ten times. Oh, come now. Surely you've left something out. <laughs> and you know, until I read that book, I never realized how amazing mechanical inventions are. Oh? Take my electric toaster, for instance. Oh? Or take my record changer. Or take my typewriter. You got any white shirts? <laughs> I'll have to go get my truck. I can't just haul away. You know, the two greatest scientific advancements are plastic surgery and television. Oh, well, they go hand in hand. You know, when television gets in, I'm going to need plastic surgery. Well, I won't need plastic surgery. Oh, you'll need a girdle. (laughs) Either that or they have to show you in sections. (laughs) I can just hear a program coming on now and saying, Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. We now present Rod O'Connor in 10 episodes. See, I couldn't get it all in myself. <laughs> hey, I wonder how far off television really is. Well, Red, in less than three years, your face will be in everybody's living room. No kidding. Mm-hmm. That's one of the dirtiest tricks science of... <laughs> You know, television's going to be wonderful. Not only will you be able to see the man in the street broadcast, but you're going to see him killed by a hit-and-run driver. <laughs> well, you know, some people believe television sets will have coin slots on them. No? You pay to see a program. You know, remember the jukebox? Oh, yeah, that's going to be something. You, know? you drop a quarter in a slot, you'll get Bob Hope. You drop 50 cents, you get Alan Young. 75 cents, you get uh, Fred Allen. Dollar, you get Red Skelton. <laughs> And 95 cents change. <laughs> you're also working on an invention where you can drop a dime in a slot and get a sample of the product you're listening to? Oh, well, now that's really going to save a lot of people from running down to the corner drugstore in their pajamas, you know. <laughs> they always say, get, get, get that tonight, you know. <laughs> can you imagine being listening to some face cream program, see, and you drop a dime in a slot? <laughs> And Lord Esther's wife let you have it right in the kitchen. 
And now Anita Ellis sings More Than You Know. to a story entitled It Pays to Look Well. Our characters are fictional. If there's any similarity to persons living, living conditions ain't too good, are they? <laughs> Chapter 134 is entitled The Cowboy and the Tailor. This is the story of Deadeye who finds that clothes don't make the man. Boy, I wish I had a horse like yours, McGregor. Old Sardo here, eh? It's pretty hard to handle. Well, I'll tell you, did I? Maybe that big saddle bothers him. What big saddle? I'm riding him bareback. <laughs> Ooh! Well, maybe he's hard of hearing. Ooh! Shoot your gun beside his ear. He should hear that. Did you say beside it or in it? <laughs> oh, he's all right. That bullet's like everything else with him. In one ear and right out the other. <laughs> Let's climb up over here in the shade, huh? Well, the old town looks the same. Yeah. Yeah, what are you playing? Now, you ought to know me better than that. Women. W-E-M-N. Women. <laughs> you don't look very presentable to be talking to women. Look at your shirt. It's all dirty and your spats is ragged. What's that? 
Oh, them darn long underwear, they slipped again. <laughs> I look pretty bad, don't I, huh? You look like B.O. Plenty's eyebrows. Before he combs them out. Yeah? <laughs> you should have said John L. had been more striking, you know. <laughs> go across to Dominic the tailor and get rigged up in the new outfit. Okay, let's go. You know, I ain't felt like dressing up since my gal Ida Soda Storm ran away with old Jim Harkins. Ah, <clears throat> oh, good afternoon, gentlemen, to coin a phrase. Howdy. <clears throat> I'd like to get spruced up a little. What do you got in mind? Women, but I gotta get some new clothes first. <laughs> <laughs> I want something that'll fit my personality. Well, I'm sorry I have nothing with poison ivy. Well, uh, <laughs> I'm sorry you said that. Now, did I? Put your guns away. Oh, they're a little heavy. I want to empty some of the lead out of them. Now, look, don't be like that. Oh, come on, one little bullet. I want to see if I can deflate that big balloon. Just a little joke, old man, no offense. Oh. Now, here, would you be so kind as to remove some of your clothes so I can take your measurements? Okay, I'll take my guns off first. I was in field artillery. <laughs> nice guns. Had a little trouble getting the wheels off, though. <laughs> well, now I'll take off my Mackinac. Mm. Now my, uh, Macintosh. <laughs> now my fur vest. <laughs> now my short skin vest. <laughs> now my wool vest. <laughs> Well, I'll be. What's wrong, did I? You know that windbreaker I shot a guy for stealing a year ago? Yeah. It just came to it. <laughs> okay, take my measurements. Now, let's see. Shoulder, 29. Yeah. Waist, 52. <laughs> Chest, 25. Chest, 25. Now, wait till I expand it, will you? Well, that's more like it. Twenty-five and a half. <laughs> right arm, thirty-five. Left arm, twenty-one. <laughs> left arm, twenty-one. How did that happen? Well, me and my wife have twin beds, and she likes to sleep holding hands. Old McGregor. Yeah, did I? Duck over to old Mac Davis's place and see if Gladys is there. Will All you? right, did I? I'll be back quicker than it takes you to say Lumen Avenue. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the name Dead Eye sounds familiar to me. Just to me, too. Shot a man, didn't you? Yep, but it was an accident. Fellow opened his hotel window and yelled fire. And I did. <laughs> Where'd you hear about me? All around. Say, here's something you need, a kerchief scarf. I don't care for that. Look better than that tie you're wearing made of rope. That ain't no rope nick tie. I just escaped, escaped a hanging. <laughs> I mean, they were going to hang you? <laughs> yeah, hanging was too good for me. They were going to hang me. <laughs> they weren't going to play yo-yo anyhow. Well, uh, how about some pants, huh? Oh, here's some. Would you like to try them on for size? Oh, I sure would. <clears throat> Now, right leg. Now, the left leg. You got a needle and thread. I forgot to take my spurs on. Hey, did I? Yeah? Man, this wasn't 
there, but look who I ran into. Howdy, cl- howdy, did I? <laughs> well, but... <laughs> but ain't my old gal, Heidi. He ain't changed a bit, Heidi. Well, you neither. You're just as bow-legged as ever. Oh, I ain't so bow-legged. Oh, no? Well, then how come you're standing on both sides of me? <laughs> how have you been, Heidi? Happy? What's been happening to you, huh? Well, that two-timer Jim Hawkins was going to marry me, but something stood in his way. What was it, gal? A wife and four kids. <laughs> he cheated me like he cheated you. Well, I don't remember him promising to marry me. <laughs> no, but you remember the poker game he got you into. Yeah? Well, he cheated you out of your cattle, and them poker cards was marked. With a hot poker, too. <laughs> you don't happen to know what happened to old Jim, do you? Yeah. Yeah, I hear he's the head of a black market and lumber gang, but is running a clothing store to make folks think he's an honest citizen. Now, you don't mean to tell me that the gent that's waiting on me is old Jim Harkins. Stand behind me, gal. Don't move, dead eye. I've got my forty-five pointed right at your head. Better stand in front of me, gal. <laughs> well, Jim, looks like things are going to happen just to you. Just like I said. Oh, shut up. No cheap dance hall gal's going to make a chump out of me. Dead Eye, did you hear what he called me? Me, a lady? A cheap dance hall gal. Yeah, I heard him. Well, are you going to let him get away with it? Yep. Hey. <laughs> no, look here. It's none of my business, but uh, why don't you two go outside and shoot it out like real western gentlemen? Yeah. Oh, no. I remember Dead Eye and his one, two, three stuff and how he shoots on two. Well, then maybe we could figure out a new idea. Yeah, fight a duel. Stand back to back. Walk ten steps apart, then turn and blaze away. Okay. Now, he ought to know better than that. (laughs) Well, let's go. Come on, boys. All right. Back to back. Draw your guns. Now, start walking. Hey, dead eyes, stop following him. I'm sorry, I hadn't noticed. Now start all over. Okay. Start walking. Ten steps, then turn. Okay. Two, four, six, eight, ten. (laughs) That's what he gets for not doing his homework. David Forrester and his orchestra play One More Tomorrow.
35 is entitled Home Tailoring. The finest tailoring in the world is done by the mothers and the grandmothers at home. Of course, it's no surprise that the mean little kid gets a cut-down suit. Hey, Grandma! Grandpa's gone. Can I take me cowbell off now? Yes, dear. Boy. Oh. Ma, you feel good to get that cowbell off. Hey, Grandma, why does I have to wear a cowbell when, when, when Grandpa's home? Because we like to talk freely, and you know too much already. Oh, I don't. I, can I run down to the candy store and get me a jawbreaker? Hmm? No, dear. Grandma doesn't have a penny to give you. Well, I'm in the chips tonight, boy. Look, 50 cents. Look. Where'd you get that? It's one you didn't find when you went through Grandpa's pockets last night. <laughs> now, Junior, I don't go through your grandfather's pockets when he's asleep. Uh, no, you better be careful that, though. Grandpa says he's going to put a mouse trap in him. <laughs> hey, Grandma, what you got your finger bandaged up for, hmm? You stop asking silly questions. Oh. <laughs> Did you get your widow finger caught in a widow mouse trap? No, Junior. It was a big mouse trap. Oh, well, looks like Grandpa took me suggestion after all, huh? I told him he'd get better results if he used a gopher trap. But I still don't see how I missed that half dollar. Well, it wasn't in the suit you was ramsacking, see. Oh. It was one hanging in the closet. Now look how black the flyer made it. Look, look. What fire? Well, now, don't get excited. I'm going to tell you about it. You see, there was a hole in his pocket and it fell through into the seam. See, so I had to burn up the suit and scrape the ashes for the half a dollar. (laughs) You're kidding me. (laughs) You just keep laughing, kiddo. That's all. I ought to spank you until you can't walk. Oh, yeah? What, you going to spank me until I can't walk? What are you going to do, spank me feet? (laughs) I knew someday she'd realize she's wearing me body out. (laughs) Oh, Junior, you're bad. No, no. I was going to take those old suits and make me something to wear. Well, your coat is still good. But I needed the pants to make the skirt. Oh, Oh, well, maybe I can make you a suit out of the coat. Oh, no, that's not But right. go get my sewing basket. Okay, I couldn't look at the sewing basket. Well, here it is, here it is. Can I borrow the scissors? I want to cut this picture of George Washington off of this green piece of paper here. No! Hmm? Put them down. What? What do you want to do, fall on those sharp points and dull them? Well, I... <laughs> Good as love me, don't you? Now, Junior, run upstairs and get your blue pants. Okay. I'll cut the pattern from them out of this wrapping paper. Well, I'm not going to wear paper pants. <laughs> Goodness, I'm not a lamb chop, you know. Junior, who said anything about paper Goodness, pants? Goodness, you're going to make paper pants. You might as well cut two holes in a shopping bag and put me in there, you know. Put me arm through the handles. Let me walk around. <laughs> Stop acting silly and run upstairs and get those pants. Okay, I will get them. I'm going to go at that. I'm going to get at that. Now, let's see now. Where could them blue pants be? Grandma straightened out my closet and I can't find a chin now, you know. Oh, there they are. There they are. I'm going to hurry, but I us go slide down the banisters quicker. Anybody know where I can get a cheap retread job? 
off the banister. Now, now, don't you hit me. Grandpa says that I could slide down the banister any time I wanted to. Oh, your grandfather should be ashamed permitting you to do things that will hurt you. Oh? Oh, but then when he's sick, he doesn't know what he's doing. I know how to cure his sickness. How? Don't spread this around. No. Shoot his bartender. I've got to see if this piece of material is big enough. Yes. Take off your pants. Here? <laughs> I won't do it. They're cold in here. Well, then at least take the stuff out of your pockets. Okay. You want me to empty my back pocket? Sure. Here. Hmm? Let me help you up on the chair. No, no, no. Don't grab me under the arms. I'm tickling you. <laughs> Lift me up in my ears like a rabbit. <laughs> Stop talking like an idiot. Well, I can't help it. It was inherited, you know. Yes, and you know from which side of the family. Yeah, I know. I know, all right. And Grandpa agrees with me, too. <laughs> oh, if only you'd try to be intelligent just for once. Well, I will if you'll buy me a dog. Well, uh, A widow me. dog. What kind of a dog do you want? A widow black and white one. No, no, no. I mean, what breed of dog? He breeds with his nose, I guess. You <laughs> want a mama dog, a mama oh, dog. no, 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 you can't have one. Right. They always have fleas. <laughs> well, the kind I want has puppies. Now, hmm? just forget I said anything. No. There. No. Yeah. I'm tired. I'm going to sit on the back of the chair until you was ready. No, don't do that. It'll oh. tip over with oh, you. Oh, oh, oh. oh, behave me. I broke me with a skull. Now, now, I now, me you didn't skull. break your skull. Yes, I did. You had Alan broke me. Oh, poor baby. He fell and hurt himself. Yes, I hurt me. <laughs> He's scared. I scared you. Bless his little heart. Yes, yes. Look, I put a dent in my head. Look, look. Well, stop putting dents in your head. It's hard enough to get hats to fit you. <laughs> now, stand still and you no. won't get hurt. Okay. Oh, where is my needle? No, here it is, here it is. Uh, mm. Go ahead, now, fret it, fret it, fret it. Thank you. Yeah, now, fret it, fret it. Mm. What are you smelling it for? I'm not smelling it. It's dark in here. I can't see it. Oh, I thought you were smelling uh, it. Junior... Your fingers are smaller than mine. Yes. Pull the thread through the needle, will you? Now, hold it down here. Hold it down. Where is it? Where is it? Don't look at it so close. You'll get cross-eyed. Cross-eyed? Is that why I see two needles now? <laughs> Junior, stop that. I'm not doing nothing. Well, look at your eyes. I can't. My nose is in the way. The only way to straighten them is to tap you on the back of the head. Yes. Here, 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 here. Straighten them. Don't knock them out. Here. Junior. Junior, now hold this goods around your waist while I sew it together. You mean like that? No, didn't not under your chin. Well, I like it that way. I like my pants on and I need eat. I don't need a napkin. Oh. Just check my pants and my collar like that. Stand still. Yes. If I accidentally stick you with a pin, you listen to me. Yeah, if you accidentally stick me, you will hear from me, you will. There. Oh, now, Stand still while I trim the legs. Oh, no, not me legs. Don't trim me legs. They're short enough now. Not your legs, the pants legs. No, no, the boy, for a minute I could see myself sitting on a Raleigh cigarette swinging my feet, you know. There. Now, the, the, the other leg. Yeah. There. That's funny. They're longer in the back than they are in front. Well, maybe I shouldn't have leaned over to watch you then. <laughs> oh. 
next Tuesday at this same time. Until next Tuesday, then. This is Red Skelton saying goodbye now, and thanks for listening. And by the way, the policeman shows the 22nd and 23rd. I'll be there. Probably many of us don't know that half of all the jobs in the armed services are directly related to civilian occupation. Let us realize that the skills, education, and experience acquired by those in the services make them better citizens and more valuable employees than ever before. Red Skelton is brought to you by the Brown and Williamson Tobacco Corporation. This is NBC, the national broadcasting company. Thank you for listening. I hope you'll be with me next week as I uncover more gems from the golden age of radio. Thanks to Paul Stringer and Joel Schoenwell for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a wonderful weekend. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.